0: Hello and welcome to the Philosophical Gathering podcast. I'm here with Andy and Leslie today, not in person, still observing social distancing. So why don't we start out talking about what's going on right now? I mean, people know that there's a coronavirus going on. People are staying inside. People are not able to go to their jobs, pay their rent. The economy's slowing down. Let's just talk about, at this point, what is it, April 15th? What is going on right now? What do you have to say about that?
1: I'll just throw out a couple of uh, facts for us to mull over. I mean, last week, there were almost seven million people who filed for unemployment insurance. Uh, a third of the people in April could not pay their rent. and uh, And another figure that uh, you know, they're admitting to nine hundred and forty eight people have died in Illinois. Uh, as of this week, uh, from the virus, so we have an extremely difficult situation. I mean, more. I think that these un- the unemployment is is going to get much worse, even with the economy starting, so-called starting back up. Uh, there isn't going to be a market. Uh, there isn't going to be any money really in the in the population to begin consuming at the level that people were. And there's all sorts of problems administering the money that we're supposed to get. Um, I, I know Andy came up with some really useful information on that. You you want to share that
2: business? Yeah. Uh, um, it was announced today that the, uh, the $1,200 that everybody's supposed to get, uh, Mnuchin and the administration signaled to the banks that if the people who were to be on the receiving end were in arrears, they did, hadn't paid their bills or they weren't somehow in debt to the bank or... To uh, meaning whoever. credit cards. Yeah, credit cards. That's a cards. bank, you know. Right. And so that they, that money could be taken, all of it or part of it, whatever, so that even the measly... Little crumbs that the the working people were supposed to get in this thing, and some were saying, "Well, I, maybe I'll be able to get groceries, and maybe I'll be able to pay my rent, make my car payment, whatever." Uh, they're not largely not going to get that. Uh, somebody's got their hand in that pie already. So um, that I mean, this is, this is. There's this three-part... The way I look at it, there's a three-part crisis going on. It's well, maybe four. But it's <laughs> definitely health is in crisis. Well, public health is in crisis. There's an economic crisis, which includes a jobless crisis. But there's also, like, uh, an ongoing environmental crisis that, that people should realize is just going to... You know, get worse, and we people are already talking about, hey, there's going to be another pandemic, which guess what? We're also not going to be prepared for. So the whole the whole system, if you roll it all into a ball, it's not working. Is not working in a way that can uh, expedite a solution or, you know, meet the people's needs. And so we're. We're kind of stuck, and here we are all locked away and trying to communicate with uh, our fellow citizens. But in terms of us implementing any change, that's going to have to uh, wait too. Well, you know, there's
1: also um, the business of. Uh, the gouging, you know, the charging of a lot of, uh, I mean, there's all these complications. I mean, I don't know if uh, people have tried to order groceries, which I have, but there are all these fees that are added on, not to mention the fact that you want to and need to tip tip people because they're not getting paid who deliver your groceries, but it's absolutely outrageous. It's almost as much as the groceries that you buy in terms of the fees and taxes. And there are all these other measures of keeping the price of oil high, Um, and they're talking about, the governor even hinted at this today, while the uh, price of certain things should drop, bottom should be dropping out, instead of being able uh, for us to get things uh, at a better price, they, they want to mitigate this. They want to stop it from happening, keep prices up. So, I mean, you know, we're quietly... Sitting in our houses, <laughs> you know, de- our situations are deteriorating. The working class's situation is deteriorating rapidly.
2: Yeah, I just I just remember what the other crisis is. Of course, <laughs> is the political crisis, which is like really, really uh, coming on us strong. We see that this incompetence is showing up the. The, the political system for what it is. And that is like, uh, it's all, everything's being done piecemeal. Some states haven't, I don't believe some states have even called for a lockdown yet. But a lot of them drug their feet on that. Now, the, you know, who's going to go back to work first? How is that going to be done? There's no coherent Uh, political direction being provided. And plus, they're all fighting amongst themselves and simultaneously attacking Iran and Venezuela and (laughs) Nicaragua and threatening uh, China. I mean, it's like real, real insane politically right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I definitely have a lot to say on the political crisis. We can talk about that in a bit. Uh, A few things that I saw recently in the um, in the bill that was passed, I think in the same bill that authorized that, you know, that small bailout for us, there is rich people basically are going to get a bigger, much bigger check than us. So they're getting some kind of I don't know if it's a tax break or some other kind of bailout. But basically, if you make more than a million dollars a year or something, you're going to get a much bigger check than the rest of us. So that's really weird. Another thing that I saw that's outrageous the checks were delayed because Trump wanted his signature on all the hard copies of the checks. And I think that's never been done before. Um, so people are, are not going to get their money for several days at least because they got to go back and like put his name on the checks. Unbelievable. Um, so there's all these weird things going on that, uh, yeah, politically, is not looking good. So a lot of the economic problems are caused by political problems.
1: Yes, I think it's important to remember too, because people have forgotten by now, and everything's been blamed every day on the virus. That we were in a economic crisis and a political crisis as well, as we came up upon the coronavirus. I mean, you know, we had a situation where uh, illegal and real sketchy things were happening in the, in the Democratic Party. Uh, totally unfair, biased media just pounding away at uh, Bernie Sanders' campaign. And, you know, there was uh, all sorts of voter suppression and tricks and, you know, having only a couple polling places open and trying to get votes during a pandemic. I mean, it, it, it just is ridiculous. But all this stuff was happening before we went under all of our lockdowns. And basically the reason that it's happening is because we don't, the the ruling class does not need all the workers and i think that that this whole situation we're in right now is proving that and somebody was laughing about it saying well we i guess we know who the essential workers are there's only about four jobs they were laughing you know as a joke four jobs that are really needed well that's not entirely true but when you think about it there's a lots and lots of things that are not actually needed in the society.
0: Even now with them being called essential workers and us knowing that they're essential workers, they're not being given health care. They're they're not you know, they don't in many cases they're not even able to get tested for the virus. They're not even able to get health care at all. So it's amazing how little they seem to care and little they seem to need, you know, even the essential workers, like why if they're so essential Can we not pay them more? Can we not even give them health care? What's going on? Can they not take sick leave and rotate in new workers? The system's not good. I mean, a a much better system would be to say, okay, if these are essential workers, again, taking the grocery store um, cashiers and and clerks and people who stock the shelves, these people um, in a category, let's say they are essential workers and they are okay. let's. Give them a break. First of all, let's give them gloves, masks, um, everything they need to stay healthy and protected. Let's get get them so that they can get a test, get tested for the virus. Let's get them treatments, um, and then have them work for a little while, and then rotate out with other people, so that we're not just endangering the same people over and over again. So these are things that, in a system that makes sense, we would do things very differently.
1: Yes, I totally agree with you. I mean, that's what had occurred to me. If we were really on a war footing, if we really needed to organize uh, the society to take care of us during an emergency, things would not be being done the way they are now. First of all, you'd guarantee that everybody was sheltered. Everybody was indoors. And when you look at all the empty condos and apartments and hotel rooms i mean they they've done a little bit and sometimes only when there's an outbreak in a homeless shelter but setting up a plastic water fountain in an encampment is not taking care of the homeless the way they know they need to and they have all of the ability to do that the question of food Like, there was this picture of a line of cars that went for miles and miles, a drive-through, picking up food, a food pantry. And we don't... What about people who don't have cars? You know, I mean, this could have been organized so to be really safe, to have food delivered to every single home so that the least amount of people would be exposed. But instead... The food that people can't afford to buy, they're dumping. They're letting it rot in fields. They're dumping milk. They're uh, shutting down, uh, you know, factories and just discarding uh, food that people could, that hungry people could use right now.
0: They're doing that because there's less demand. Right? So people well, the, aren't going to pay for it. So if they yeah. give it away for free, yes. Then people it's like mm. people will start right. not having to pay for things, right? And that messes with capitalism.
1: Yeah. That's yeah, it. That, they could give it away for free, but no, they would they have to dump it and destroy it rather than let us have it for free. How can that be a system that is going to sustain uh you know us as a human as a species
2: well i think that the uh the other thing is that they put so much emphasis on you know uh, rebooting business yeah. you know when they don't they don't really intend to subsidize every little mom and pop operation at all they've given the money to the banks. So, you know, they're, they've shown which side they're on in terms of a humane response. It's kind of like uh, when Hurricane Sandy, I guess it was, hit the East Coast, and the response by the government was not anywhere as near as good as the response by Occupy people. Who came out in droves to, you know, provide food and assistance, and you know, help clear debris and just all these kinds of things. People know that this stuff can be done. If they want to uh, engineer an invasion of of another country, they provide all every manner of uh, uh, goods and services to make that happen. Kitchens. Uh, housing just everything that the invasion's going to require um, all you have
1: to do is look at mccormick place i mean you yeah. threw that up in a few weeks so they the ability is there to organize to get everyone shelter to get everyone food and to take care of everybody's health care needs you know yeah. i mean all of this proves not only is it needed but we could do it we could do it But no, we're constantly trying to bail out the insurance company or bail out, you know, the banks or take care of this or that because we got to continue. Now we're bailing
0: out the landlords, right? Yeah, bailing out
1: the landlords. And, well, I bet all I got to say is I better fucking get my check because that bill is the, you know, a lot of people have talked about this. It's one of the largest transfers of wealth from the. You know, well, it's just being printed,
2: but it's a transfer of wealth to the very top. It is it is the largest. It's the largest in the history of mankind. Yes. And I mean, and it's going to get bigger. They, in order to keep this financial system running, they're not really trying to make a secret about it. They have to com- infuse it with money uh, every day. They're doing it at the rate of... Uh, and we're doing it at the rate of 400 billion a week, mm, but it's yeah, just it's just printing, that that's printing the money and get it into circulation, and uh, they're going to do that indefinitely, <laughs> and they will control all those uh Bless properties <laughs> at, at the end of the day. They're going to control everything because all those little uh. Places are going to go bankrupt, and then the banks will seize the property, seize the businesses, and they will they will accrue everything unto themselves. And we will be left with jack. Some people are calling it like we're going to be peasants again, which it might be a good time for me to reflect on.
1: <laughs> Andy has a little wanna, reading I want to
2: read a little passage. I have a book called The Eyewitness to History by John Kerry, and it's a series of things going way, way back to ancient times where people wrote about what they saw. And this one is about the plague in uh, London, the Black Death in 1348. So we're talking basically about 700 years ago. Here's what uh, he had to say. This is just one little passage. I think I'll do it Monty Python-esque, you know, if you don't mind, (laughs) if you'll indulge me. Then the Bishop of London sent word throughout his whole diocese, giving general power to each and every person, regular as well as secular, to hear confessions and to give absolution to all persons with full Episcopal authority, except only in the case of debt. In this case, the debtor was to pay the debt if he was able, while he lived, or others were to fulfill his obligation from his property after his death. And I think that's that's, that's the good. way it is, man. It's like the property owner is dead or alive, they're going to get their, their money out of you, and the, the landlord's going to get his, his take. So a lot of people are saying, like, whose mortgages were... Uh, it's frozen or something. They said, "Well, I guess that's a good thing." But what about when this thing is lifted? And the banks told them, "No, you're going to have to pay back all that, all that money. All those three months that we uh, let you slide, you're we're going to come right back in and get it." Now, now it's that's gone on for a long, long time, and um, it's becoming completely untenable, and that's why we're. That's why we remain agitated. We can't help but be agitated right now. It's every single thing, every aspect of our life is, is f- fucked up. Well,
1: I think we also have to look at, like, they're not going to let a good crisis right. be, go to waste. Right. I mean, you know, uh, is it something they wanted? Well, probably not. But the thing is that while it's there, we're not going to emerge to go back to normal. I mean, we, we were headed towards a serious collapse. We were headed towards depression. And we're going to emerge into that uh, You know, light of day. That's going to be our new new normal. We're going to be in a serious depression. It's going to be hard to get work. Workers won't have any particular leverage. Uh, because the competition for these jobs is going to be strong. And there's not going to be more compassion and more giveaways. Uh, there's going to be less. I mean, they're already talking, uh, you know, the uh, governor was crying about the budget today. There's going to be sacrifices. Everybody got to get it ready. Austerity, belt tightening, all this kind of stuff. Well, that, that kind of thing is going to happen to the people who are not needed In this new high technology uh, world you know I mean part of the reason we got into this problem of of like not having enough of everything people have acknowledged this that we were more and more geared towards what do you call it like products on demand yeah you know where things were produced as needed to save money with big stockpiles that they couldn't sell so when you have that kind of a thing everything's tight there's no you know waste uh, uh for the capitalist he he's not losing money with a bunch of products that he can't move so you know you're in a situation where the hospitals don't have a lot of beds they only have what made them money so you know this thing teaches us that we're going to have to get control of this economy. We're going to have to start, you know, we the people at the bottom who are gonna be suffering, we're we're gonna have to put a different vision forward. We're gonna have to insist that everyone has shelter, that everyone gets fed, and that everyone gets health care in this country, regardless of your ability to pay. And nothing short of those kinds of uh, demands from the working class and the newly dispossessed is going to is going to help us survive
0: you know i was thinking there are people who rule us you know it's it's uh it's less disguised or it's more disguised than it was in you know feudalism we had kings and queens and lords and royalty and stuff like that, and then you had, a, you know, the peasants, people who work in the fields. But we still kind of have that same thing going on today. It's just harder to see, a little harder to see. But all this stuff does remind me of, in the movie Shrek, there's like a there's the evil ruler, his name is Lord Farquad. Uh, the word, uh, if you change the word slightly, you know, it says fuckwad. Uh, fun <laughs> fact. Lord Farquaad, uh, there's a line in there. He says, uh, some of you may die, but it's a risk that I'm willing to take. And, you know, that's that's like an evil cartoon villain in a sort of feudal setting. But what's kind of the difference from that and what's happening now? You know, it's the same thing. The people in charge are making decisions and they're talking about reopening the economy and you still got to pay your rent. We're not going to give you relief. Uh, too bad if you lose your home. Too bad if you can't eat. Too bad if you get sick and die. You know, right. What What are they? How are they not saying basically the same thing? You know, because right. they're not at risk by doing making these decisions and making us go back to work or making us take all these risks. They basically are saying, you know, it's not as obvious, but they basically are doing what Lord Farquaad said. Um, you know, some of you. May die, but that's a that's a
2: risk I'm willing to take absolutely i mean the the thing that one of the things that made me clear headed about the way the system works a long time ago was to understand that as a a worker i didn't have anything to sell except my ability to to labor you know, and that that that's what I sold uh, at one time I got a f- a price for it that I could live on. I got like it was like a long time ago but like $9 an hour was considered a pretty good wage. You could pay your rent, buy your groceries, pay a car note, do all those things. And and so I sold my labor, my ability to work for that. And I got what, what I got. But now my labor is obviously but mine and a lot of people's (laughs) labor power is going begging one they don't need you so much because they got computers robotics who who, that have stepped in and uh, automated a lot of processes uh uh even you know things like medical processes so there's a lot of things that have, have mitigated against you being able to sell your ability to labor so they came up with stuff like uber where you're supposedly a uh, entrepreneur And you're not really in a working relationship with a boss or anything, so you're your own boss. Well, those guess what? Those people are bankrupt completely now. They're running around, getting in line, driving their Uber car to a bread line or to a food pantry. This one guy said, I got $4. That's what I got. And I'm driving Uber. So... We're we're getting we are dri- being driven to the level of uh, uh, almost like a peasantry where we we don't have anything worth selling anymore. We just have to rely on the goodness of the church or the master to to throw us a a crumb once in a while it's really really bad and people don't realize how bad it is they think it might go back to normal and it won't well there's
1: still people who defend their rulers you know there. i mean i different little social media sites that i go and check out you know i mean it's most of the people are um feeling compassion for people who can't work you know they're they're immune uh compromised and they don't want to go to work but their boss is going is threatening to fire them so a lot of these people are going well what do you expect you know your boss he has to this and that so there's a section of people still defending uh, the the rulers over you know the the rights of of the rest of us to be able to survive now I don't know how long they can keep this up like I, I wrote back in one of these posts you know it sounds like winos on a railroad track you don't see the train coming but it's coming it's coming for you and I, I think we're going to have to deal with the fact that there's going to be tremendous unrest and rebellion but you know we as a working class are going to get crushed by they're ready they're getting ready with the national guard and whatever to you know make sure that no property gets disturbed or loses a damn nickel during this thing but if we don't have a vision of where we want to go and what we expect our government to do then you know that this thing is part of a of a whole motion towards getting our needs satisfied
0: so should we talk for a bit about that vision what are our goals what what are we trying to do because if we just stand by and kind of hope things will get better and wait it out you know things are going to only get worse but but things don't have to get worse and we'll you know keep talking about strategy to make things better but we also have to have a vision, an idea, some goals of what are we trying to make? Like, what is that better that we want? Instead of what's happening now, what should we be going for?
1: Yeah, I mean, just briefly, my, you know, the platform that I see coming out of the people who are suffering right now is that everybody needs shelter, everybody needs food and everybody needs health care regardless of our ability to pay and that has to that that's the vision um that i see us shaping for ourselves. in other words we have the right to all these things we have the right to life you know that that this is about life over any kind of system at all you know your private property system Does't If that threatens our life, then it has to go
2: yeah, I would just say that one of the things that always we have to keep in the front of our minds, and sometimes it gets lost because things seem so desperate, but there is an absolute abundance yeah. that's that's out there that um the fact that they created and built millions of cars. That they can no no longer sell, or that they did this or did did that, is sort of immaterial to me. I mean, like when when uh, World War II, they all everybody's making al- allusions to World War II and how f- factories were retooled in order to make equipment for the war. Well, obviously, nothing on that grand scale or that kind of visionary thing. Has happened as yet, and i don 't believe uh that that 's what the game plan is for us, in other words they 're not going to hey everybody we need housing for the people, hey, we need uh you know health, universal health care for the people that 's not what our particular leaders are about, and they 've shown it over and over again, and sometimes I like this. Look at people, you know, who question that. I said, what part of no don't you understand? They are not doing anything substantively to indicate that they are going to change anything. Once this thing blows over, so to speak, even though it might reoccur back in the, in the fall, once this thing is temporarily st- Uh, settled they're going to go back to business as usual that's their intent and business as usual won't work anymore and so there's a disconnect between what's actually happening and what people's consciousness is because the majority of the people just want to go back to their job and you know get their little paycheck pay their rent and not and be able to go out and get a pizza, whatever, once in a while. But but the fact that that little tiny life is being jeopardized is what we have to speak to now and what we have to plan for in the future. Somebody's got to provide a different outlook, a different vision than, yeah. than going back to the status quo. One of the
1: things I think has to be our bottom line, what is the role of government if it's not... To provide for the people, to service the people. In other words, what kind, You know, your your government is supposed to be there to ensure that the society functions. Well, this one is broken. It's broke broken for so many people, and it was broken before we came into this thing, and now we're going to emerge with it even, you know, more in pieces. And there isn't any other way forward right now but for people to demand the kind of government that's going to take care of them.
0: I think we need to um, rally around some concrete demands, and I think you mentioned three really big ones, really yes. important ones. One is um, food, another is shelter, and another is health care. Right. So right. those are three right. things we need to say. Everyone deserves food, shelter, and health care. And... Yeah. Uh, you know, there's more. There's definitely way more. But in the midst of this crisis right now, I think we need to demand that everyone can eat, everyone has a place, you know, shelter, and everyone can get health care. And I think going forward, those are things to demand right now. Right. And uh, there's there's something I've seen going around. It's called the Five Demands, I guess. Um, and it's the website is FiveDemands.global just the number five demands dot demands.global. Um, and those five demands, uh, subtitle for emergency COVID-19 survival. And these are things we want now, and we definitely want them going forward, but they're things we can rally around right now. One is free healthcare, uh, free testing, treatment, and healthcare for all. Another is no work. So suspend work obligations, guarantee food stamps, and sick pay for all. So this is something we want to, open dialogue and action about going forward, right? We want to rethink. This is opening up a window to rethink what work is all about. What should be our conditions of work? What are the, what is the situation? um, What does work look like for us? Right right now we have a big way to rethink that, but at least for now it's dangerous to go to work. So uh, suspend work obligations and guarantee, you know, even if you're not working, you get food stamps and sick pay. Uh, Demand number three, no debt, no paying. So suspend rent, mortgage, utilities, loans, foreclosures, evictions, and parking enforcement. So again, if we don't have money to pay these things, why should we have debt? Why should we have to pay rent, mortgage, utilities, you know, parking enforcement when we can't even pay? So these are things that we need to suspend so that we can, you know, get by in the in the midst of a crisis. Uh, demand four: free the prisoners. And bail for jails, deactivate ICE, uh, the, the customs enforcement, release detainees, and stop all sweeps of homeless camps. So stop putting people in jail. Uh, stop, you know, rounding up immigrants. Of course, this is something we should do anyways. But right now, again, we're in the midst of a crisis. People are sick. It's dangerous to have people crowded in jails. It's dangerous to do these things right now. So this is a concrete demand we can rally around. And then another one of them is the uh, the homes for all housing. Uh, open up unoccupied homes to anyone who needs one. And then, of course, uh, earlier we said to suspend the rent and mortgages. So if you're in a home already, you shouldn't have to worry about being kicked out of there. So if you don't have a home, you should get into one because it's dangerous to not be in one right now. And going forward, we can think about what it means that people don't have homes when they're already you know, open housing. So those are the five demands, five concrete demands that I've seen going around. And it's something, if we can rally around those right now, going forward, it's something to continue. Yeah,
2: we had, I think that those are excellent. I think that we, like the, I work with the Puerto Rico Concerned Voters and in the last two years, we also came up with five demands, four of which are identical to those. All of the our demands stem from the u uh, n declaration of human for of Human rights, which were all uh, noted and enumerated seventy plus years ago, and now we got this jerk trying to attack the uh, the World Health Organization attacking everything that uh, gets in the way as far as he's concerned. Um, of doing exactly what he wants to do, which is unleash the profiteering. So, yes, we need five simple demands. Those five are, are just, like I said, just like the ones that we came up with and circulated around Chicago. People have to have a program they can rally to. They can't, they can't live on bread alone. They have to have something that uh, fulfills their need for a future. People, people right now are jeopardized. One of our demands, which is a little different, was, you know, basic, uh, state-of-the-art education for every child in the in the city. You know, that from kindergarten through college, everybody gets free, good education, superior education. And I have a friend uh, you've met, um, Bill, who we interviewed. He's got 28 students that are trying to go to school at home right now under this quarantine. 14 of them don't even have access to laptops or computers in their home because they're so poor. Who's making provisions for the education of the children? And like you mentioned, the the state of of affairs at the border is... uh, Beyond criminal negligence, it's actually become a murderous, genocidal right. activity. And uh, t- who's going to call these people to account that are that are perpetrating all this shit? And you know, I, I just go nuts because we talk about healthcare here. Iran just developed a COVID-19 test that takes five minutes. And you know, it's like. We're busy putting sanctions on Iran causing the death of innocents in that country, the same as Venezuela. So we, like I read something today, the U.S. has no business pointing its finger at anybody because our, the, the government here has got blood-soaked hands.
1: Well, I think that that was a, a good sight, you know, that uh, those demands that you listed and um, you know, we if we can provide a link to that. Um, my thinking, though, too, is that yes, we have to think about our immediate need, but I think we want to reconsider wh- how we can survive going forward. Do we really need to go back to what we had? Is that really going to do it? Uh, First of all, we're not going to be able to go back to that set point. Uh, I I feel pretty confident about that no matter what they say. Um, It's going to take a long time for the engine of the economy to get going and our position as a class has deteriorated even more now. We have less resources, we have less power and also The central, you know, uh, the arm of the state, you might say, the power of the state has really kind of felt its muscle during this thing. And I think it's very possible that we're going to see that muscle get flexed whenever they feel in jeopardy at all of an invasion on private property. You know, whether that means riots or, you know, people burning down things or just beginning to break into stores to get things they need. And all of this is coming, you know, if if we don't, uh, if we're not able to get these basic demands met.
0: There's things that we need and then there are people and groups that are leading us away from what we need. And um, in a very broad sense, and in terms of, I guess, principles, who are the misleaders? I guess who's leading us away from what we need? How are they doing it? And uh, what do we need to look out for in terms of, you know, because there are going to be people who promise better things and, who say they're taking care of the problem, but for whatever reason, either they're either they're in control and they want to keep it, so they're not going to do the right thing for us, right? So they're doing the right thing for them. Example: Trump and Trump administration, um, or there are also going to be people who have good intentions, and you know, part of the activist progressive crowd, I guess. And they're going to lead us. There are some people in that crowd who I think are going to lead us in the wrong direction as well. Not because they don't want to lead us in the right direction, not because they have malice or ill will, but because um, maybe they don't know the right solution, the right direction, or maybe because um, it's their job to do a certain thing, but that's not the right thing for us to do right now, uh, and so on. So I just want to talk a bit about. going in the right direction and how do we how do we make sure we're not following the wrong I guess leaders and the wrong path
2: well I think that's a that's the is the question because um, we can examine all the symptoms and all the troubles but unless we have a program that's coherent going forward we won't be able to do anything um, anything effective I mean we we have a situation where all sorts of people that run the gamut from uh, fascists to left liberals are proposing different solutions to the situation that we're in. And, you know, that's all well and good. Everybody's going to respond. But only certain things are going to, quote-unquote, work. And so far, the only thing that I've seen from... The left liberal camp, which is, the, I guess, the camp I fall down in, (laughs) certainly not the right-wing camp, but the left liberal camp has got piecemeal solutions. They don't challenge the basic conception of the system, which is broken irreparably. So they're not going to try to really change the system. They're going to try to tweak it, and demand this and that none of which they're going to get. Uh you know, Robert Reich is like one of my favorites to jump on because he's well known, he's got some credibility, but he's basically saying we should do this and we should do that and they're 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 not in a position to demand anything because they don't have the power to change a damn thing. You know, so you could say well, we should give everybody uh, the keys to their own business and let them run their own business and uh, prop them up for two years while they get on their feet. But, but all these pollyanna solutions are not going to work. The only thing in my estimation that's going to work is a, um, a well-organized, uh, conscious, revolutionary uh organization. I mean that that's going to be able to lead the whole thing forward. And by that, I don't mean like the ones that were in the 60s or the ones that were in Russia or anything that is in the past. None of those are suitable. We're going to have to develop our own organizations. I think that you know some of the things that we're seeing now, people are organizing to help each other out. Those will be the basis for actually Uh, revolutionary political organizations in the future because we're on our own the government's told us and what the misleaders do on the left is they tell us no you're not on your own we can reform the government we can appeal to their good graces we can appeal to their humanity well guess what trump don't have no humanity and in any real sense and neither of neither does Nancy Pelosi. Neither does Nancy Pelosi. They've got their agenda. They're working their agenda. They have they uh, their futurists are people like Steve Bannon, who's got a fascist agenda, and he's he's out there talking to people and attempting to answer the questions that they're posing. That's what we have to do. We have to really answer the questions. His answers amount to double down on nationalism, blame everything on the Chinese uh, Communist Party, and prepare for war. So fascism equals war. That's what Hitler was able to do in Germany when they were in a crisis. They they had to have wheelbarrows full of money to buy a loaf of bread in 1923. Hitler came along and said, we're going to save you, and we're going to militarize, and we're going to become a powerhouse essentially that's what bannon is trying to advocate for and uh he's he's way cleverer than trump but we don't have a program we don't have any organization we are defenseless right now and the sooner we grasp it the sooner we can build something
1: well yeah, I, I think that, you know, what you're describing for coming from Bannon is this populism. But we have populism from the left and from the right in this country. And the problem with it is is that it appeals, but it has actually no specific, um, you know, remedies. The essence of populism, you know, is is not going to win the day. And it does tend, like we could, the population can be turned towards fascism. And some of this stuff that Bannon has been being put forward, just, you know, he's a fascist. He's a known fascist. He, he was cozy in, in Trump's administration and they had to remove him because he became so clearly labeled a fascist that even Trump couldn't keep him up there without a lot of protests. But he's appealing, apparently, to a section of the left as well. And we have to examine this. Like, there's a lot of people who are criticizing what's going on now in the government. But if they criticize, no matter how loudly they criticize, if they don't start putting the vision forward that we were talking about, that vision, you know, is going to be labeled a communist vision. But I'm going to fight for it, that people get food, health care, shelter, whether they can afford it or not, because that's the only way we get to live. I mean, this is what we have to realize. This has to be the vision of our movement so we don't get waylaid off into, you know, uh, dead-end streets, or or even worse, uh, off into movements that end up hurting our own interests. Um, I mean we should we should look at some of the things that are coming out of you know Washington right now. I mean I don't know whether we're going to actually have an election, but even if we do, look at what we're left with. You know, there's neither party that is going to offer survival for the dispossessed. They don't have an agenda to do that. In fact, they're fought, fighting against it. The Democratic Party even though it wants, supposedly wants, the Bernie uh, supporters to come in and vote for Biden, they they really won't give hardly an inch uh, in the direction of some of those programs like Medicare for All, et cetera. And when you look at what, you know, Bernie's campaign's a good example. The things that people supported there Were these, were part of this vision that we've been talking about today? They have the same vision, his supporters. Um, And also, even think about the Trump voters. Some of those people had some of the same vision. They thought they were going to get rescued. They thought we were going to stop going to war, that we were going to spend, going to be able to bring the jobs back home, get the factories cranking and stuff like that. Well, we know why that is never going to happen again. Uh, Trump couldn't have done that if he'd have wanted to, couldn't bring it back.
2: The only way it would happen is if they brought it back, the jobs at the, the labor rate that they pay in China, which is like, is up to, I think it's up to average $13,000 a year for a Chinese laborer, way up from what it was, you know, 30 years ago. So they, they've come up but they're still like way way below in terms of the cost of the labor in the overseas and uh so that's that's all imaginary that they're going to bring jobs back or this and that it's just like some of these things have to be exposed really ruthlessly rather than sitting around listening to these absurd uh proposals uh, and the ones that annoy me the most are the ones the left comes up with. And I, I mean, I think Bernie caving, uh, you know, towards the end when everybody was like hoping that he would go for broke and have some leverage at the convention or something, that they all that energy and um, enthusiasm would not just crash on the rocks again and people be left with the choice of Biden. But that's what happened and so yeah. sucking that up is pretty hard and having having the wherewithal to come up fighting out of this situation is pretty hard. A lot of people are depressed about it, but there's also people that are mad like Cardi B even. <laughs> people are mad <laughs> that this guy... Uh, caved and what what good did it do? So, yeah, that's that's enough to get get your blood blood up I think for the next phase.
0: Yeah, let me tell you about one of the concessions that Biden's made to get the Bernie voters over into his camp. All right, you ready? He said we should lower the Medicare age to 60.
1: Yes. Oh. I heard that.
0: I think what was it? It's 65, right? So he wanted to lower it 5 years. You know what? In 2016 I think one of Hillary Clinton's concessions was she's going to lower Medicare to 55.
1: Right. So right.
0: now now Biden's going to lower it to 60. Right. What yeah, good did the... That. You know. Backwards. What a sweet. Yeah, it went backwards. It was supposed to, you know, sh- shift to the left, right? The party, <gasps> the party was supposed to be going to the left, and Bernie's, you oh, know, God. candidacy and his his movement, political revolution, whatever you want to call it, was supposed to have some leverage and, you know, change the party left. But no. The same thing is happening over again. If anything, it's worse this time. Um, you know, no no health care for all, but maybe one day we'll lower the Medicare, you know from sixty five to to sixty.
1: yeah, none of those none of those uh, things are going to be done for us. And you know, I think this whole process that we've been going through, uh, you know, with these elections and everything has really uh, kind of proven that both neither party uh, is the party of the people or will give us what we need. And, you know, there's another thing I think we need to consider. Like, you know, some study of the 60s uh, will, you know, and all the movements that came about then uh, will reveal to you just how the government moved to deal with that. I mean, you know, there was the movement against the war. There was the civil rights movement. There was the women's movement. There were all these various um, uh, struggles that were taking place. And the way that the government dealt with it was to make sure that they infiltrated, that they created their own opposition. So a lot of organizations that are maybe still around today... Uh, were actually um, funded by corporations in order to be able to um, have a place for discontent to go. Places where you would never get what you want and you're you would constantly run around in circles fighting for this little tweak and that little policy change but you at the end of the day you had nothing and that is still in existence today and I look I think we should keep our eyes open because as things start getting going, they are going to rush into this thing. Uh, And I'm not trying to start a big paranoid thing, but I think if the people are clear about what they want, they're not going to be taken in you know, by by those who have been sent in to
2: mislead and misdirect? Well, I can tell you from experience, we had one little, we had a pamphlet, and we kept using the same five-point program, which was basically we want education, health care, jobs, jobs. Uh, Let's see, freedom from uh police harassment and, and uh you know community controlled police and we wanted housing. So those five things and we couldn't get hardly anybody to buy in. It was like they had all these other programs and foundations and you know, grant money coming at them, and they were putting together their big agenda for legislation in Springfield. They're always running off to Springfield as if anybody's going to pay attention to their ass. And it's like the the corporate lobbyists run everything in this country. They, they run the pharmaceutical industry. They, they make policy that uh, that people like Trump, he just signs off on. That's that's been the expose of the last, you know, uh, ten years was that they had these uh, secret lobbyist groups that were run by you know the most um, parasitical companies and corporations, and they lobbied everything. Everything that went through went through them. They wrote it, and the the no good. Congress and Senate signed off on it. So they're not even, you're not You're not appealing to them because they don't listen to you. They listen to corporate lobbies. So um, all the left running around Springfield and blah, 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 and this and that, they're not building a thing in the communities in the city. And the, the city desperately needs it. Nothing has proven it more than the pandemic, how defenseless and how vulnerable we are You know, uh, so it's disgusting the state of affairs that we're in. So
0: I made a list of points to look out for when people promise us things and uh, things that I guess should set off your your radar of, you know, they're probably lying or at least they might be lying and promising, you know, the wrong thing leading us in the wrong direction. And uh, I'll read off my little list here and you could help me elaborate on that. And also, you know, personally, for me at least, it's kinda easy to see uh the right wing demagogues, the people who are promising, you know, people like Trump. Trump to me is an obvious liar and a snake oil salesman like you've, you know, made a cartoon about, Andy. Um, he, he tells these lies constantly. Um, for me that's easy to see for a lot of like I guess a lot of people, unless you're a Trump, you know, diehard Trump supporter. I think a lot of people can see these lies pretty easily. The lies that are harder to see are the ones um, who are supposed to be your friend and they're on your side uh, and, you know, they they care, they say they care and maybe they even do and show it, but um, they're, they're also saying the wrong things that we need to do. Like, uh, like the democratic party, is a good example. They're supposed to be, supposedly the myth is that they're the party of the people and the party of justice And then you got activists, organizations that are, you know, we care about people, and we're doing the right thing, and we're on your side. A lot of these people, it's harder to see if they're saying the right thing or if they're really on your side. So here's my little list of things to watch out for, and you can tell me what you think. So first point, um, the people who are leading us in the wrong direction are going to say often that we need to wait for the people with power to change things for us. That's a big theme. We always got to wait. Um And they word this in different ways. There's different ways they'd say we should do this, but the bottom thing that it comes down to is, no, 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 just just hang on. If we just hang on, hang in there, these people are going to take for, care of it for us, the people in power, so we don't have to worry. So that's a big red flag for me. Another one is you got to look who they're funded by, who they're working for. There are simply people with a vested interest in things not changing. They want to keep their power. They want to keep the wealth in their hands. So they do have, you know, a way to fund this controlled opposition, you know, and I think a lot of activists and nonprofit organizations will have this sometimes. They'll they'll be funded by the people who don't want things to change and there's hard limits to what they can do, right? So you have to look at the people who are advocating for change. You have to look at who they're funded by, who are they working for. If it's people who have a vested interest in things not changing, that's a huge red flag, I think. Um, Another one is advocates for solutions that have already been tried and failed over and over again. So another big example for me is people who say we should change the Democratic Party from the inside. I've studied a history of this line of thinking, a history of people trying to change the Democratic Party over and over and over again, you know th- this has been tried for a long long time it's failed over and over again so th- it's not going to it's not going to happen so people who are advocating us to try these solutions you got to go look back and see have they already been trying those things if so have they worked in the past so people who advocate for things to things that we've already tried over and over again and things that have already failed over and over again that's a big red flag um another point people who won't name an enemy or people who blur the lines between classes of people so a lot of this um rhetoric like we're all in this together you know that's a explicit example that you'll hear a lot we're all in this together but the thing is we're not all in this together there are people with different interests there are people with different uh positions different ideas we're not all in this together people who say that are either misleading by accident or and they shouldn't be listened to I think or sometimes I think they're doing it on purpose to blur the lines you know they they won't call out you know there's people making things happen right there's people making decisions that are affecting us for the worse and if you can't name that if you can't call out that there is an enemy somewhere that there is someone some people somewhere making decisions that are affecting us negatively then, you know, I'm skeptical of their motivations. I'm skeptical of their strategy because there are people out there who are making these decisions and they're not on our side. So you have to be able to call that out. And if you can't, then I think that's something to be skeptical of. And um the last one, uh I guess it kind of ties in with other ones, but another explicit point for me, people who say we can't have good things especially structural changes, if we can't make structural changes. The best example for me is uh, healthcare. So people who say stuff like, oh, we can't do a Medicare for All universal healthcare system, right? It'll be too hard. The the process won't work. Um, blah, blah, blah. It's too expensive. All these things. So we can't, we need healthcare. We, we all need healthcare. We can do healthcare. They do it in other countries. But for some reason we can't have it. So there are people who say we can't do the structural changes. We can't change the healthcare system, and we can't house the homeless, and we can't um, pay for tuition-free education. You know, all the, we can't we can't pay for tests or whatever it is. People who say we can't do we can't have good things. We can't have sick leave. You know, and and the bigger the the bigger the change it is, the more we can't have it, right? So these are the people to watch out for. And I think they're not on our side. And if they are, you know, if they really do care and they really do want better things, they're still advocating for the wrong strategy.
2: It sort of like defies logic the way that the the way that we're put upon. And then we're told, well, don't believe your lying eyes because any anybody can see what the what we're advocating for is simple, logical uh, remedies that are completely doable in this day and age maybe seven hundred years ago they could mm-hmm. the pope or whoever could run around and you know uh, fool people but we 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 don't Uh, have to listen to this garbage anymore we we are so beyond that and like I say the pandemic really really illustrates how vital it is that we that we change the uh, narrative and what you're saying about calling these liars out it has to happen Leslie and I a long time ago we we uh, were living in West Virginia and there was a, a hearing at uh, Union Carbide after they spilled this isocyanite, methyl isocyanite, same thing that killed 1,500 people in India, they spilled it in our neighborhood in near where we lived. We went to this meeting, everybody was listening to the CEO of Union Carbide, a very powerful, wealthy man, as he tried to explain or apologize for all this and say it wasn't gonna happen again. And one worker got up in the crowd and said, I, I work in your dirty damn plant, and I know that you're lying. And he called his son of a bitch out, and the people went wild. But, but he paid a heavy price for that. So, I mean, this is not without consequence. You start calling people out, it's a really big deal. But it's also vital that we, we prepare to do that.
1: Well, I, I think, you know, these are very good... Um, like thing, I don't know what you call them—the list, like the little red flags, right? To know that you're being misled or lied to. And as I look down the list, I, I realize that what it's um, what's really at the bottom of this is a class outlook. It's like if you have, if you're in the class of people who is supporting, like, well, the 1%, obviously. But all kinds of people, for various reasons, are not yet able to uh, examine new ideas. Uh, and they won't, really, until they're absolutely forced to. Their own survival is going to be at stake. But it's really, it has a class basis. People who defend this way, the way things are going and... Or who claim we can't change it, and they're always talking about there's just not enough money. Oh, how, my, one of my favorites is, how are you gonna pay for that? How will you pay for that? And another one of my favorites is, well, it's very complex. You know, we talk about homelessness. Well, homelessness is very complex. Well, how frickin' uh, complex is it when you have a empty housing and you have people with no ability to put themselves into a shelter because they have no money?
0: Right. And these things should be, at this point in the crisis, the coronavirus crisis, these things have zero validity anymore because obviously we can pay for anything. We can just print the money. We can just move the money around. It's so obvious we've done it for everything. Obviously, we can house the homeless, right? It's not complicated. So those are totally zero credibility points anymore if they weren't before.
1: I think anyone... You know, I mean, I, I agree that it's going to take time for people to sort things out in their mind, but you know the leading factor has to be the survival of our people. And when you see that you know they really don't need all the the, the people who own most of the property, and I don't mean the little homeowner. I mean the the means of production, you know, the factories and the equipment and the uh, you know that have all of that sewed up well naturally they're going to continue to defend their way of life which is that we all can starve we're not needed and they they frankly probably wish we would die off uh, in this that's uh, a sacrifice virus. they're willing yeah to it's make. a sacrifice they're willing to make that's right You know, like, uh, was that governor of Texas or something was saying (laughs) how all the grandparents would happily die so that their uh, grandchildren could continue to live the way in which they've been living? Not so It's not that easy, you know. And, I I mean, I think that this, to me, it's never been clear uh, what we have to fight for and how our society is not set up in any way, shape, or form to give us what we need. So that means that the people are going to have to be strong. I, th- I think we're going to go through a lot of um, hardship and heartache here as we struggle to survive, and we're going to be met with force. So, um, you know, l- being able to recognize who who's our friend and who... Even if they mean well, we can't listen to them, and they need to be pushed aside. Because, I mean, if there's anything we should have some hope in, it's who are the beacons, uh, the bright lights of the future? Is it those, um, you know, parasitical people up in Washington trying to get back to where they were and only caring about their bottom line? Or is it all of the young people and older people and all the people affected by this pandemic who want a better world and who are going to have to struggle for one? See,
2: that's where the hope lies. One thing I, want, I wanted to note, I think it was, uh, it was pretty significant, was on this battleship, uh, not battleship, aircraft carrier, Theodore Roosevelt, um there was an outbreak of the coronavirus, something like 200 sailors got it. Uh, the captain exposed the fact, and he was summarily dismissed. But as he was leaving the ship, all the, all the sailors were cheering him because he had the guts to go against uh, Army proto- or Navy protocols to expose what was a deadly thing. And and that's a kind of a heroic move. I mean, he basically sacrificed his career. But the significance was that that borders on a mutiny. I mean, it's almost like um, other points in history where the military, the public servant, begins to rebel against the system that that they're in in. In bondage to basically that's very important and there's far there's in Wisconsin they just told the uh, police and the firefighters that unless you can prove you got coronavirus on your job as a first line responder we 're not going to give you those benefits, those unemployment benefits, and the firemen and the police are going, What the hell is this so I mean the 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 capitalist class is so desperate to maintain its power in the face of this disaster that they're making serious political mistakes that are going to uh, eventually bring about their downfall. They are stepping on the wrong toes. Well, that's the section,
1: you know, like we might call the newly dispossessed. I mean, they're still going to need police. And I imagine, uh, but, but you're right. They're, when they start to attack their own, uh, you know, they need the police to, to defend their, uh, you know, dictates that come down and right. keep order. So, you know, I don't, I don't know what, what's going to come about with that. But, you know, the, the circle of people who are at an advantage to live like this is growing smaller all the time. Yeah. And those of us who are willing to go you know I think I think uh, I'm just going to discard all these notions that you've been throwing at me and I'm going to go for broke. I'm just going to go for I think there's enough out here that we all could have everything we need. You right. know and we don't need to continue to listen to you right. and how you say things should work right. because
2: we're not stupid. You get it all, and we get the shaft. Well, there was an adage that that was in play back. I haven't heard it for a long time. I don't know why, but that we used to be an adage said, "You'll get what you're organized to take," and it it was it was pretty true then. It's pretty true now. I mean, if you're if you're an unorganized group of people, no matter how big, and you're out there crying for mercy. And actually expecting it, then you're going to be uh, fooled and denied. So you have to be organized as a political force in order to get anything. Or, you know, the famous thing by Douglas said that power never surrenders anything without uh, a fight or without force on the other side.